This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, good morning, Heidi. We're moving into the new year with this show. We are. Hi, Mom. You know, um, this show is going to be posted on January 3rd, so I want to talk a little bit about the new year today, and I think I really like the topic of our show today with Jeffrey Kaufman because we're going to be talking a little bit about grief and shame, and I think going into the new year, those are some of the things that I think hold people back in many ways in grief and loss particularly, so Mm -hmm. I I think it's going to free some people up today, Heidi, talking about this. I like what you're saying because you're, you're tapping into something for me, and that is how shameful I would feel if I was newly bereaved and was starting a new year and one of my resolutions was to feel better <laughs> and how I might feel guilt around that and embarrassed about that. Absolutely. Because how dare I feel better when my brother is dead? Does that mean I don't love him? Does that mean I'm not connected to him? I mean, those whole, all those loyalties. Right. Exactly, and I'm sure Jeffrey's going to be able to talk to us about that today. So we're talking about shame with Jeffrey Kaufman, and Jeffrey's a psychotherapist in private practice in suburban Philadelphia, and he specializes in the treatment of grief and trauma, and he writes on grief and shame, and his most recent publication is The Shame of Death, Grief, and Trauma. And he's a member, and we met him at the American Association of Education and Counselors, ADAT, and he's a fellow in Thanatology. Well, thank you, Jeffrey, for being on the show today. Hi, Jeffrey. Uh, hi. How you doing, Gloria? Hi, Heidi. It's great to talk to you. I like the way you guys just began that. I heard your little intro conversation and the fact that you began by talking about how when one is able to allow themselves to be aware of the shame that they feel, how freeing it can be, and mm. how when the shame is there and one isn't open to it, and one feels ashamed or feeling ashamed, uh, mm-hmm. how inhibiting and, and, and cut off one can feel. Uh, so being aware of shame and being open to it and feeling safe enough with it really can be very freeing. It's so interesting because, you know, as a bereaved parent, I was so ashamed. I mean, I really don't think I could have put my finger on it, but I think that I had a sense of shame that I couldn't take care of my own child. And, you know, that you should be able to do that. That's what's so interesting about shame is that the most vulnerable feelings that we have um, around a a deep loss often have shame connected to them, whether it is a sense of responsibility that we have failed, whether it's our helplessness to do something, even our separation uh, from the person. Just being separate and disconnected to me is feeling shame. And Jeffrey, is, is shame and embarrassment the same thing, or is it two different? Are those two different feelings? Well, the words are talked about in different ways. The, the way okay. I prefer to talk about them is that shame is a broader category, and humiliation is an example or a type of shame. Uh, um, shyness is another indication of shame. Uh, mm-hmm. Having anxiety that you're being exposed 
is a type of shame. So there are lots of ways in which shame can show itself. Now, you know, one of the things that you talk about is the fact that shame is not always a bad thing. I was talking to Heidi about this because the shame, there's some kind of a spiritual connection to it, too. I know you talk about that, but you don't want to lose total shame. I mean, some shame is, you know, you don't run around naked or whatever. But I was saying to Heidi, I think reality TV has almost gotten into that area where people have gone beyond shame. There should be some shame. Well, yeah, because the, the more outrageous you are on reality TV and the more ridiculous and absurd you are, the higher the ratings are. It is true, Mom. It's crazy. So they move into people's shame. Yeah, yeah I think our sense of self-worth, our, the sense of the values that we have are all secured in us by a sense of shame. Our sense of dignity is related to shame. The sense of identity and our positive self-regard are all related to shame. They're secured in us by shame. So shame, we think of it being a bad thing, but in many ways it's not. One of the things also that came out for me in reading some of your work, Jeffrey, was I know people had anxiety attacks, and they have anxiety attacks sometimes. After the death of a child, I was thinking of David Morrell, the author of Rambo, who's also in our new book on uh, Signs and Connections. David uh, had a huge anxiety attack when he was to present at Compassionate Friends, and he spoke about that at the last conference. I know you say that if uh, we have so much shame that it kind of breaks us down to who we are, we can have anxiety attacks after a loss, right? That's right. That's right. And having it before he was going to present to an audience, that kind of performance anxiety is a type of, of embarrassment, which is a type of shame. It's feeling exposed in the eyes of others. So that when one is grieving, for example, one feels different from the people around them. People who don't recognize and aren't open to feelings of grief, and you're feeling grief in front of them, then you may also feel shame about that grief in the other person's eyes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Heidi, I was thinking of another experience of you being a sibling and talking about the shame of not being the one who died in a way. It should have been the you instead mm-hmm. of the other, right? Yeah, and you see that a lot with grieving siblings. I mean, in my case, my parents had three girls and only one son, and I felt like, my God, he was the family name, he was the only son. I felt like I definitely should have been the one that died instead, and when I talk to brief siblings, that's often the case, and we also feel embarrassed and shameful that we have any kind of grief, because we all know society tells us over and over that the worst loss that anyone can ever have is the death of a child. So when we're grieving our sibling loss, we look at our parents and we feel shameful, like maybe we shouldn't be grieving. Yeah, it's remarkable in how many ways one can feel shame about grief, and yet how little it is talked about among people who work in the field of grief, and how little people who are grieving feel that it's okay to really recognize their their shame. Well, I love the fact that you point out that shame is not always a bad thing. Shame protects us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important now. You talk about a little bit, I wanted to get into a little different area in a way. Shame comes into it. But this idea of disenfranchised grief, which I think about disenfranchised is a word that we don't necessarily relate to immediately. But I like to think about it as where you're not allowed to grieve. You're not allowed to get in touch with your grief. And you point out that there can be two aspects of that, which is one where you don't allow yourself to, and then one where society doesn't allow you to. And I think we kind of 
talk and as therapists and in the world about where society doesn't allow you to, but we don't often talk about how sometimes you don't allow yourself to grieve. That's right. That's right. And it's the same thing that's going on, the feeling that it's not permitted, only instead of your feeling that others won't permit it, you yourself are feeling that it's not permitted, often imagining that others won't allow it, whether that's the case or not, but you can you can initiate that and, and shut down your feelings and and not allow yourself to experience the, your whatever is there, whatever grief, thoughts, and feelings you have, because you feel shame about them. You know, I'm thinking about men in terms of that, too, because uh, men in our society uh, sometimes maybe have the idea that they're not allowed to, and indeed by themselves, but also at the society. And I, I see men, particularly when I go to Compassionate Friends, the organization for bereaved parents, I see men who feel like they have to support their wives. Mm-hmm. They're sitting there looking really sad, but they have their arm around this woman who is crying. And it, I think they must have a shame if they can't express it. I don't know. Have you seen that, Heidi? Absolutely. What do you think, Jeffrey? Yeah, I think that's a good observation. I think mm-hmm. that Often, when, when when the man is supporting his wife, he is there for her, for her feelings. But in doing that, he is hiding behind his protectiveness of her, hiding whatever vulnerability he might feel out of an embarrassment or a shame uh, that those feelings are, are not manly or that they're not okay, that he doesn't have permission to feel those feelings or to express them. Now, I wanted to talk, too, about uh, what you call the hallucinatory process, dreams, etc., how society tends to not uh, allow people to go into those areas. I was saying to Heidi, and you see them, even whether they're real or whether they're not, or however people want to talk about them. I mean, Heidi and I find dimes, mm-hmm. and we think that that's connected with Scott, or people see have butterflies or dreams. And it's interesting because you say a little bit that they can be uh, not allowed or disenfranchised by society, but you see them, that can block some of the healing process, right? Absolutely. I think that uh, those are ways that we symbolize feelings and thoughts that we haven't got a, a, a way of expressing otherwise. Um, and they the hallucinatory thoughts can come from a very deep place and be a way of trying to realize feelings that are very deep and hard to get in touch with. And so they should be sanctioned. Then that allows the process to flow instead of if those kinds of ways of thinking are shamed and not permitted, then the person will inhibit them and not allow themselves to feel them, and that shuts down the grief process. Mm-hmm. I think that's why group process can be so helpful, yeah. you know, going to compassionate friends or going places and telling your story. And I don't know, sometimes Heidi and I say, if you're out there and you have these dreams or you have these feelings and you're not feeling they're accepted, I think you, I hear Jeffrey saying that it's okay for you to have them and find some safe people who can hear them and maybe some people who've had their own dreams. We have a, our friend at Compassionate Friends, Mitch Carmody. He does a lot on that, right, Heidi? Oh, tons. And, and it's funny because he does nightly sharing sessions and Jeffrey, most of the sharing sessions are attended by about 12 to 15 people. 
When he does things on signs, dreams, and connections, there are over 300 people in that room, standing room only, sharing their experiences and being validated and acknowledged that this is their experience. That's it. That validation, that being recognized by another person in your grief and accepted is so healing. And what it's healing is the underlying shame that there's something wrong or bad or unacceptable about these feelings. It gives you a sense of connectedness to the other person, and that's the positive, protective meaning of shame. Now, I think we've told people that it's okay to acknowledge the fact that you have shame. I think um, I certainly did. I had a a shame about a lot of things, not being able to protect my child. I know we had uh, my cousin's um, son was driving the car, and he was killed, and so was Scott. And I know there was a lot of shame and anger in their family that their child was driving the car where Scott was killed. And, you know, uh, what about that shame? That's a pretty powerful, you know, thing here. They'd lost the child, too. When something like that happens, the grief can be interfered with by imagining that other people are judging you and feeling ashamed of yourself, again, in the eyes of others who are thinking what you did and with something wrong, and, and therefore who you are is, some, is, is not, not okay. And that disenfranchises or disallows you from uh, feeling okay about your feelings in yourself. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the folks who are out there. They say, okay, I've got shame over my husband's death or my child or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now, okay, so now I got it. I got it, and I got the fact that it can be okay, too, but I've got some issues around it. What do I do? What do you suggest? The one most important and simple thing is to be able to have a safe place to talk about the shame and about the feelings and thoughts that you feel ashamed of. Shame thrives in its hiddenness and its secrecy. And when it's brought into the light of day, it tends to dissipate. It doesn't survive the light of day. So the one simple and best thing to do is to be able to talk about the shame and what you're ashamed of in a safe place with another person Mm -hmm. and really have those feelings recognized as okay. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to shame. Shame can be shameful. It's so hard to talk about shame because we right. feel ashamed of our shame. Yeah, I like this idea of having other people validating and acknowledging it because, you know, I ran 9-11 sibling loss groups for years after 9-11, and one of the biggest things that, that all my siblings talked about, and all their brothers died the same way. They were firefighters, and they died in the World Trade Center, and it was so shameful to them that the wrong child died. The hero, the firefighter hero, dying, running up the stairs on 9-11 was, was dead and they were still living. And they got to have all this validation from everybody else in the room who had firefighter brothers die the same way. So it was really empowering for them and then they could kind of move through that. Even though it wasn't a rational shame, sometimes it's not rational the way we feel. Yes, I, I think that shame is, is, is probably never rational. Okay, shame is, that's good to know. Shame is, always an irrational feeling. So I got some little thoughts I had, and one of them was to recognize the feelings of guilt and shame are normal. I think that's an important point right there, just to recognize you're normal. Absolutely. Yes, I think that something as simple as recognizing that it's normal 
doesn't sound like a big deal is really a big deal. That because we feel that these feelings are so abnormal and it makes us feel abnormal and that shuts down the grieving process and shuts down one's feelings of self-worth and to recognize they're normal is or can be liberating. I had some idea that maybe people could also do some rituals around the shame. And I was thinking maybe they could write down what they're shameful about. And uh, maybe sometimes we have people burn it and plant a, a rose bush or whatever, some way to give it up, some way to give it to someone else. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about any rituals that people might do? Well, actually, I haven't thought about that that much, but I think that's a good idea. And I think that's on, on a worthwhile track that I think that rituals that honor the deceased, which honor one's feelings. Shame has a lot of opposites, you know, that are so vital to our well-being, like pride and honor and dignity. And so rituals which affirm our self-worth and affirm the meaningfulness of our bond with the deceased or affirm whatever we're ashamed of, be able to put that into a ritual language where it can have meaning for us, can, can really help to transform that shame into something healing. Right. And you can, you know, do poetry. Some people like uh, to draw. People like to write. And, you know, I hope that you'll think about writing on the Open to Hope forums that we have on our site, because you can write about your shame there and how, how you've transformed it and what you've uh, done to it and, and forming it and realizing that maybe you'll just write to us and say, hey, I've got some shame and I don't want to talk about it today, but I want, I'm happy to hear it's normal, you know, to have some of this. That's a wonderful idea. Yeah, that, that you're providing that place for people to do that is such a gift. So hopefully uh, people will do that. And Jeffrey, you are such a great guy. I just really think you're on to something really powerful here, don't you, Heidi? Mm-hmm. It's on, yes, and something that we haven't talked about. Like Jeffrey said, this never gets talked about. Nobody talks about their shame. Absolutely. So thank you, Jeffrey, for giving it voice. It is really a pleasure to talk with both of you, and I'm, I am glad to also help people recognize how important shame can be, hoping that it will be healing. Now, tell us how we can get your book through Amazon, The Shame of Death, Grief, and Trauma, okay, through Amazon, yeah. and do you have a website? I do. Okay. It is Jeffrey Kaufman Psychotherapy, that's all one word, jeffreykaufmanpsychotherapy.com. All right. Well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for being on the show. Gloria, Heidi, it's good talking to you, and I look forward to seeing you guys soon. Thanks, Jeffrey. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, Jeffrey, for being on the show. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, Heidi, uh, I just am really intrigued with this whole thing. I just, you know, think it is such a powerful idea and so much uh, guilt and shame. And, I, you know, that idea and the fact that it's normal and also that shame has aspects that are positive and life-affirming for us. It's amazing. Amazing thought. I agree. And that's what, that's what I was surprised about and happy to hear. Like you said, that it's a, it can be a positive, it can be an adaptive thing to have some shame. Absolutely. And that we all have it. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to the show today, and we hope you'll visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, tune in again next week to Open to Hope with Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio. 
hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.